Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Brett Putter. Prior to founding Culture Gene, Brett was the managing partner at a specialist London-based executive search firm, where he successfully completed CXO, VP, and director-level searches for over 400 high-growth technology companies in the UK, US, and across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Brett is the author of Culture Decks Decoded and the Culture Driven Leader, and a contributor to Forbes and Entrepreneur.com. Brett is an investor in seed camp funds and an investor in and advisor to a number of early stage startups. Brett is currently interviewing founders, CEOs, and other senior executives of successful high growth startups to understand how they defined, developed, and implemented their company's culture. Um, so I um, founded Culture Gene about four, just over four years ago now. Prior to that, I ran an executive search company uh, for 16 years. And um, we worked with typically early stage, high growth VC backed companies, helping them build out their executive teams as they scaled. So I've worked for, I worked for a long time with startup and high growth companies. And at Culture Gene, we typically help uh, our target customer is a high growth uh, company, really getting ready to scale and um, making sure that they their culture is fit for purpose. How did you get into the area of corporate culture or culture and kind of uh, the corporate realm um, and 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 consulting for those that are trying to figure out this this sort of mystical equation, right, of growth and uh, and preserving? of something. Um, what, what led you to that space? I like, I like that mystical equation. I'll use that. That's, um, I, I, I'll, I'll definitely stealing that. Um, so actually I was lucky enough about five years ago now, a little bit longer, um, to work with three companies almost in a row where the CEOs had very clear understanding of their culture. And, um, I was tasked with finding candidates that matched the skills, experience and values of the company and search is hard enough, but actually search and then finding candidates that match the values was, was, was a much harder thing to do. It took us much longer to, to do the searches and um, was, there was a lot of learning involved, but it, once we got to the interview stage, it was like chalk and cheese. The, the, you could just see the candidates that were a good values match were on the same level. They, there was one situation I, I never forget. I was participating in the interview, and the CEO and the candidate were actually finishing one another's sentences. It, it, it was as if they'd been dancing tango for ten years, um, and that was that was really where I realized, wow, I've never experienced this before. It's it's 
the search was so different, the actual interaction was so different with the candidates, and then the impact that the candidates had on the companies was so significant that I thought, okay, now I've got to, this is the missing link. I've got to really understand this. This is that piece of the puzzle that, that, that just needs to be solved. And then I started to really dig down and understand culture. Yeah, there's a word that you talked about uh, briefly in there. You mentioned values. And I think it's interesting how much, how, how much effort these days, uh, and we'll talk for, for a minute pre-pandemic, and then we'll talk kind of current, current pandemic that we're in. You know, there's always an emphasis on the on the word values, and so people have you know values of the company. They're published, right? It's it's usually something is seated in a mission statement and even a vision statement. But I find it interesting that when when recruiting happens or when search happens for a candidate, a lot of emphasis in the past has been put on competency or what capability can they bring when they join a team or what. Um, you know, skills and assets can they bring or what tenure can they bring? And and I find it really interesting now talking to some recruiters and, and those that do executive search, especially, that there is such a shift more towards we need to anchor things on the values with how this person moves through the world. Because the if they have a certain value structure, we can throw anything at them and, and, they, and they solve it with pretty much an expected outcome that aligns with 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 who we are as a company. Is, is that an accurate portrayal of some of the shift that you've seen in the past years or currently amidst this pandemic? I'm seeing I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about culture fit, which is really frankly just hot air because you can't hire for culture fits. It's impossible. Um, but the really, really good search firms and the good recruiters are talking about values. That means that the company has to have done a good job of defining their values and understand what those values mean to them because values are open to interpretation. So, you know, if the recruiter interprets your values incorrectly, then you're, you're, you're going down the wrong rabbit hole anyway. Um, but the really good ones are working hard with the companies to understand the values, what they mean, and they are um, evaluating the candidates based on those values and behaviors the company requires. And I think this is a, an absolutely critical part of any search, any recruitment going forward has to be, does this person match our values? Yeah, and it makes me, it makes me think a little bit around how often people revisit their values as a company. Um, and there's a lot that I think that has taken place over the course of 2020 and into 2021 where people are starting to revisit some of those values. And one of the values I think people are starting to revisit and think about all stems from collaboration and, you know, this sense of working remotely. So you've, you've done a lot of thinking and a lot of thought leadership around culture and being remote, um, probably long before most people were even thinking about doing this every single day. Um, you're, you're currently in Portugal. I'm currently in Seattle. You know, I've been working from home basically since last March. Um, you know, every time there was uh, an inkling of going back to an office, that that shifted and that changed. So I'd love your thoughts around how you think the this this new remote, all remote for everybody, is is shifting. Frankly, the value structure uh, and some of the values for companies, be it startups or major corporations around the world. So I would say I would say that there is a small percentage, m maximum ten percent of companies, where this is happening, 
The other 90% are just hoping to the heavens that we go back to normal. Um, and this is an unfortunate place for those leaders to be because we're not going back to it. Well, the new normal is not the old normal. And, and it's, it's almost as if we now live on the moon. You know, gravity is different. The clothes we wear are different. The way we consume food and oxygen is different. And that's just the, that's just the reali reality of it. And this remote work, whether it's hybrid or fully remote, is, is the future. But actually, the, the really the, the companies that are on top of their values um, and their culture generally are thinking about this and going, okay, now um, what what are we what are we missing? What's changed, and how do we adapt to that? What do we you know what do how do we how do we either uh, overemphasize over on our values or um, how do we overcome? through our current values. So if you, if you think about it, if you just run through the things that have changed, proximity, physical interaction, body language, you know, immediate communication, reliable comms channels, in, inverted commas, sort of, um, the informal communication, those water cooler moments happened, information dissemination happened easier, the creativity and brainstorming were easier, the feedback was often informal, sometimes formal, but much easier to do than et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you just look at all the things that have changed now, the companies that are very much uh, at the forefront of this thinking are going, okay, what's changed? How do we, how do we need to adapt? And where do we need to over-index a little bit? Um, and the best ones are looking at the remote companies and going, what do they do that's different? And where are we going to have to adapt if we're going to do this remote or, or, or hybrid work well? Yeah, I like what you said, started in a place of taking an assessment of what's missing. Because I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think a lot of people would would shy away from starting there. Um, whenever, whenever trying to look at going forward and what changes they need to make, I think a lot of companies just naturally want to look for something that is additive. We can just add to this mix, as opposed to saying, what, what have we not had or what are we missing or what have we lost? And is this an opportunity for us to truly reflect on it and figure out how we do it in a remote world? I mean, as you think about so much of, as you described, it's, it's communication channels, it's all digital now. Um, as you think about digital engagement, and that's, that's a word that's, again, a lot of hot air around those words. Um, and behind those two words, digital engagement, I would say there's not a lot of successful models. There's a lot of effort, but not a lot of successful models. So when you think about digital engagement and, and creation of culture um, in this remote world that we're in, what are the trends that you're seeing in 2021? We're just a couple months into it, but already a lot has happened in this year. Um, and what do you think we will continue to learn through the rest of the year um, uh, in, in this, how culture is created in a remote way using tools of digital engagement? So I'm seeing I'm seeing positive trends and negative trends. The negative trends are leaders not realizing that that you cannot operate in a remote way in the same way that you did previously. In a in a you know you you can't operate now the same way you did, which means that you that first of all you have to think about synchronous communication versus asynchronous communication, um, and that's that's the sort of and it's, it's hard because we are designed for synchronicity as human beings. It's what we want. You know, presence, availability, interaction, let's solve the problem now. And, and so 
the, the, the negative trends I'm seeing are conti let's continue to work the way we did. Let's just force the systems into our workway. And you're getting Zoom fatigue. You're getting, you know, people don't want to do social connection because they're tired of Zoom. But social connection is the is getting social connection right is the first step to stopping loneliness, which is the the next step to stopping potential burnout and other mental health issues that are that are coming down the line for a lot of these companies. So, for me, for me, it's it's a trend of continuing to do what we do. Uh, or what we did, and 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 ultimately burn our people out. The on the positive side, I'm seeing I'm seeing some companies and some technologies come up where um, people are developing solutions around um, presence, around availability, and around asynchronous communication, so that it almost becomes it becomes second nature to to be asynchronous versus trying to force people to be asynchronous. Um, and I see trends are, uh, along the lines of um, uh, companies that, that are thinking about um, how do we make sure that our people and that we retain the implicit contract with our people versus the, versus the explicit contract is the signed document. Yes, I will pay you and you will do work. The implicit, doc, the implicit contract is we have an agreement about how we're going to work. That's actually changed now because, you know, we don't have the office. We're not going to have that vibe anymore. And how am I as a leader going to get ahead of that and, and, and make sure that our implicit agreement is right for you um, versus just forgetting about that and, and, and becoming focused on performance and, you know, wringing blood out of a stone is a bad phrase to use, but really, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing leaders going, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, no, we, but this is going well. It's, you know, let's, let's just keep at this versus thinking, let's keep, let's balance out. Let's find, because people are, are not able to disconnect. They're not able to find that balance, et cetera, et cetera. We, we all know the issue. So for me, for me, it's the, it's the trend around, um, uh, adapting and using different tools to see if they help you and your company sort of communicate, collaborate, and document better. Yeah, I, I love how you describe the implicit versus explicit contract with work. Um, that's something I've not really heard anybody talk about uh, recently. And it's, it's something I think that people kind of need to investigate because to your point around values as well, when we have an implicit contract or expectation set uh, that nobody's really investigated for us, what we'd find is probably every individual, when you ask them, what is that implicit contract? It, it might feel different. There were people who probably joined, for example, my, my line of work consulting because implicitly they wanted to be engaging with people in person. They implicitly wanted to be traveling. They wanted to be exposed to different industries. They wanted the hotel points. They wanted the mileage, whatever that is, right? There's all these implicit uh, expectations um, and all of that's come to a stop. And so you do, you do find yourself questioning maybe um, as an individual, am I still getting out of, out of this, this job or this industry what I, what I expected? And in a remote world, the answer might be no. And, and I think that's important to have that conversation with people um, because that impacts how they work, right? That impacts if they're lonely, that impacts if they're not feeling fulfilled. 
if they don't feel a sense of purpose. And, and to your point as well around, you know, sort of blood out of a stone, if the processes and the, the policies and the way that we work in the, the, the way we've worked in the past are, are just continue to be pushed, pushed, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. And that gap between your implicit and the explicit grows larger, then, then I believe you're, you're probably facing a, a bit of a talent crisis. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's very fair. Um, I, um, I, I call this the second-class citizen problem. And the second-class citizen is uh, the, the person who is in your organization and is working remote and you haven't created systems for them to work successfully remote as a remote uh, individual. And you haven't create you haven't maintained the implicit agreement with them. It can be both, or it can be one or the other. So people who are working remote in a in a future world of hybrid, the people who are working remote, unless you build a, a remote first hybrid culture, you you end up with people feeling like they're not included. They don't have the same um, uh, ability to for growth and development and promotion. They're they're often forgotten about in meetings or you know they're not they're not respected in that way they don't experience the culture and the, the camaraderie essentially they end up feeling like second class citizens and this wasn't too, this wasn't such a, ba- a big deal uh, you know pre covid because there weren't tens of thousands of new hybrid or remote companies that are going to be designing their culture around the way they're going to be moving forward and i believe you know the free food the, the, the bean bags and the amazing offices and the campuses and everything, that was a major part of what attracted people. What's going to attract people in the future is how your culture is designed around the model you are working. And if you can demonstrate that we have a working model around a hybrid culture where we respect our remote people and we treat them like first-class citizens – you are going to you are going to have the exact opposite of a crisis. You will you will be your magnet will be on full power from an attraction point of view. That's a very powerful the way that you describe that. If if people place that hybrid first model and and really set kind of set that as their their beacon, uh, if you will, and it kind of becomes the light that will attract people for that reason alone. I totally agree with you, and I and I think it is interesting. I remember two things come to mind. One was many years ago when I supported some of the U.S. federal government agencies as they were exploring the telework policy. And I remember how much effort went into explaining to many managers uh, and many supervisors the, the concept of just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not working. And there were all sorts of ideas kicked around back then. You know, there needs to be a certain um, thing on their laptop that shows me they're actually typing, right? There needs to be a proximity sensor. Like there was all of this discussion at the time, which frankly resided in in a lack of trust. And then I think about, you know, fast forward many, many years, and I was in San Francisco uh, interviewing at Twitter. And I remember the discussion at the time was walking me around and showing me just like you described, <laughs> Brett, Here's our nap rooms. Here's our bean bags. Here's our ice, you know, ice hockey, uh, you know, simulator. Here's here's the wall of cereal. There was a wall of cereal, and and I remember, again, the person explained to me, "Isn't this great? Look, there's a wall of cereal. You can have cereal anytime you want." 
And I found it really interesting because obviously this person wouldn't know this about me, but when I grew up as a kid, right, you ate cereal for breakfast, but you also ate cereal when, when, uh, the, the dinner wasn't ready, right? Or, or my dad was late from, from coming home on a business trip and my mom just didn't feel like putting anything together. So she would just look to the kids and I'm one of six kids and she'd say, have cereal for dinner, right? So to me, I mean, then there's no way this recruiter would have known this, right? Yeah. To me, that, that brings up the opposite of what they were trying to do. I'm sitting there going, oh, no, no, no. Like this is not a perk for me. Because I've moved it, away from that. <laughs> right, I've moved away from that. Like that was not necessarily a good a sign of goodness for me. Um, and I just, and it was one of those moments that you say, this is fascinating. Like if you could stop time and, and explain to this recruiter that this is what's coming up in me, implicitly what's coming up in me that to the reaction to the wall of cereal, it's not good. Right. And, and yet this was part of the tour. This is part of the benefits. And I find that fascinating. So when we think about those two examples of, you know, a, a government agency trying to figure out how they <laughs> how they do telework, and then something like a Twitter, which is like, yeah, work anywhere. I don't really care. Like, here's free snacks, perks. What I mean, you got to think about the power of human centered design. But every one of us is slightly different. So when you do the human centered design, when you're talking to companies that want to create this culture and be hybrid first, how do they do that remotely? I mean, what are the what are the key components? And I think you hit on one, which was the loneliness factor for sure is one that I'm seeing keeps creeping up, but I would love your thoughts on like this human centered design. That's another term that's been splashed all over the place, but does that enter the equation here? It doesn't, it doesn't enter the equation enough, but I, um, I look at this and I go, okay, um, let's look at, so, so I've studied um, GitLab, uh, Buffer, Hotjar, Zapier. I've studied, many, many, many of these remote companies, mainly because I've been building remote software that replicates my process and started this over a year and a half ago. So I've been really looking at these companies. And so I looked at these companies, I said, okay, what is it that makes them different? And, and essentially there are nine best practices that they focus on, communication, process, documentation, recruitment and onboarding, trust, well-being, social connection, being deliberate about their culture, and really, really looking at structure. And, and so if you understand remote companies do over-index on communication because communication is oxygen in that business. If you don't get it right, your business dies. If you then look at why do they operate differently, then you could understand and apply this to, to that human-centered design. So first of all, no osmosis. The osmosis is gone. And os we relied on osmosis for onboarding, for learning, for everything. Loneliness, distraction, procrastination, people not being able to switch off, poor communication and collaboration, no deep thinking time. Um, you know, the, 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 there are weaker relationships with colleagues. Information silos develop easily anyway, and now they are developing even more. There's knowledge loss thrown in as well, and then you have the mental health and burnout issues. So if you look at if you look at what remote companies are doing, they're over-indexing in, in, in areas because they know the human element is required there. And so if you're designing your communication stack, and you're thinking, okay, we're now spending most of our time in synchronous. 
we need to spend less time, I'm not saying eradicate synchronous communication, but less time in synchronous and more time in asynchronous because our humans are living in a different world now. And we have to communicate with them in a different way. And so that for me is where it's not many people are thinking like this. You know, the, 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 there are some people who are thinking about the human-centered design and thinking about, okay, um, how, do we, how do we first of all understand what remote companies are doing differently and how do we understand what we've lost and how those two things connect? And then we can apply that to the solutions we're developing. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's, it's a, I'm a, I'm a little bit, frankly, I'm a little bit disappointed with where we are at the moment, because there are too many people with their heads in the sand going, don't worry, when the wind stops blowing, it'll all be the same. Or it'll be yeah. the same. Yeah, I, I think I wrote a few things down that are, that are really important to reiterate. One is communication is oxygen. I had not really heard that said before. And that makes that makes so much sense to me because it's, you know, over indexing on communication. Um, it, it's important now because to your point, we used to be able to send out an email, even if it didn't explain everything, but then we would go to the kitchen or the lounge or whatnot, or a meeting. And then somebody would, they would essentially bring, provide us more oxygen to that, to that message and say, Oh, no problem, Brett. Like I, I know the email is a little bit confusing. Let me provide you my, you know, my perspective or what you don't see in that email is this, or there's some stuff behind, behind the scenes that you don't see. And essentially what that's doing, it's, it's giving you oxygen for your own brain to make sense of the information. Um, but, but a lack of that would starve, would starve a brain, right? Would starve and, and that damages a body. And when you multiply that at scale across corporations, I can see how the atrophy happens, right? The starvation of, of the oxygen and people do get uh, tired more quickly. And, and, I, and I could be wrong, but I, but I imagine what they're doing is they're, they're filling in the gaps, like they're guessing with the information. And that can be equally as dangerous to an organization and its productivity. Yeah, especially if people, what's very dangerous is, is when people fill in or when you're multiple time zones away. Because then you get 48-hour turnaround, which used to be, you know, a couple of hours max. And so, but the, the filling in bit is incredibly dangerous. And you're seeing, you're seeing this with um, uh, younger, in, more inexperienced people are really struggling with remote. And uh, Andy Grove um, uh, in high output management, he, he talked about task-relevant maturity. And, and so if somebody doesn't, hasn't done this task before, they have to learn how to do it. And if you're pushing them, they have to make assumptions because you haven't given them the oxygen, which means that this thing could go horribly south. Um, and so, so young people are really, really struggling with this now. And the best companies here are building tra uh, what I call single-player single game training. So it's a, it's a gaming mindset where the training is single player. You could, they can learn everything they need to know as a single player and ask me at our weekly, weekly catch-up versus need to know on a daily basis and wait for me to respond to their Zoom request. So, yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a tremendous amount happening in this uh, area that's lacking, but also that people are moving, moving ahead on. And I think the, um, the oxygen piece is so critical because the – the 
you don't have it, as you say, if you don't, you know, people, people, I've, I've heard CEOs saying they're communicating less because people are tired of the communication. And people aren't tired of the communication. They're tired of the, of the, of the channel. They're tired of the medium. They need, they desperately need the communication. But their bodies and their eyes and their brain can't take the medium. Yeah. And the other thing that you, you talked about was osmosis, which I find really interesting because the, the, so much of that took place in, in sort of the in-between, right? I, I would call it like, um, you know, to, to use an old adage, an old Irish adage, the thin places, right? It's like the in-between places where you sometimes get the most information, the most realization, the most reflection. And so, for example, if someone uh, was a consultant and they were, you know, getting all this information, sometimes the the osmosis would take place uh, maybe on a plane with someone, you know, chatting with someone because you're reflecting on some of those things or in the back of an Uber or whatnot. And, and, and that movement's not happening. So that osmosis, that opportunity for osmosis between knowledge workers is less. And I find it interesting how I've, I've shared a colleague uh, told me this, this sort of um, experience that he had that, that hit me pretty well. He said, you know, even we used to be able to sort of remember and almost mentally bookmark when things were said to us by where we were located. And now you can't do that anymore. Like my, my location is always this desk, always this background behind me, the same paintings, you know, it's, it's a, it's a screenshot that never changes. And yet we're taking in information constantly. And I don't really have any visual or slightly different physical markers around me to remind me, oh, right. I remember when I talked to Brett about that, I was, I was at the Starbucks that's in the lobby. That's like, and and our mind works in this way where we sometimes file things away. The, you know, in other analogies, we put things sort of in the junk drawer or the kitchen drawer, right? Um, but we're also used to filing that away and, 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 and reorganizing it when we can in movement or through osmosis. And that's not happening now. And when a colleague shared that with me, I thought that was extremely powerful. No wonder I have a harder time taking notes. No wonder I have a harder time retaining and remembering things. And then you start to feel like your performance is suffering. When it's it's not really suffering, you're just dealing with more channels and it's the synchronous and asynchronous that's happening. Um, so I think it's a really powerful point that, that you shared. Um, and on channels, I would love to just kind of zoom into this one a little bit. Is there a right balance for corporations, startups, companies, whomever? Because right now it is, it's a little bit like a stage and you have to change scenes constantly. Am I in Zoom? Am I in Teams? Am I in Slack? Am I in email? Am I in Miro? Am I, and, and all of these things uh, are, are pro productive tools, but I don't know to what degree we are diminishing returns in the channel sequencing. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so so this is this is what um, remote companies do really well. They build a communication architecture, and um, that communication architecture consists of synchronous, semi-synchronous, or asynchronous uh, tools. And if you if you think about um, the, you've got low permanence and high permanence data, and so they they use they don't use much synchronous because it's low permanence. It's a conversation or if you bump into somebody and you have a chat. It's in person, it requires 
um, uh, it requires presence and it requires availability and it's, 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 it's low permanence. But if you think about um, chat, which is sort of more semi-synchronous because you can, you know, with Slack, you can respond immediately or, or wait until you respond. Forums and projects and task tools are the same. These, these, um, these fall into the semi-synchronous um, uh, uh, area. And then, you know, collaborative documentation, company handbooks, um, that's where the, 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 the asynchronous communication happens. And it's, it's not easy because you've got bigger companies particularly have a plethora of all sorts of, you know, they've got Trello, they've got Asana, they've got this and that and this and different people are using different things. Um, but actually, the 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 with my clients, we actually we force people. If you if one of the team if one if one team's got a son and another team's got Trello, we will actually move them across. We will we will decide as a company this is what we're going to do. Yes, it's going to be painful. We're sorry it's going to be painful, but you are going to have to move across now. Um, and so we build a a um, communication architecture where we say, okay. This is what you use Slack for. We're still going to use email because we're more synchronous, but we're going to use email for the following things. And then we're going to use the, this is semi-synchronous, but we are only going to use um, you know, Google Docs. We're going to get rid of Dropbox paper, and um, we're going, now going to be very focused on the company handbook, on the company wikis, and we're going to think about documenting and documentation and processes in a different way. We're going to think about the owner of the, of the document. We're going to think about the cadence of the document. We're going to think about how is it maintained. And so documents are not just created by HR and go into a folder to die, um, the, 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 you know, that folder of death. They, I own it. It's my sales process. It's my marketing process. It's my customer success process. And I invite, the, I invite people to participate in the process and in the documentation. So that's... That's what um, you know. The, every single remote company I've studied has over, you know, really, really works hard on their documentation, and they hire people for their ability to write. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because as you describe the communication architecture, I mean, the key word to me there is architecture. Like it's designing a building essentially, and how the building is used, and what the building is used for, and where you go depending on what you need to do in that building. And I think. It's a it's a it's a great lesson that when you say you bring two companies together or they're using two different products, you you have to have a very honest conversation with them about which one is really going to serve your needs, and you need to make the change to this one for this reason. Um, I think it's it's also interesting to see how much you know this aspect of centers of excellence or communities of practice. Like these were things that I think used to be almost additive to people's day-to-day -day jobs, right? So if you set up a center of excellence or community practice around knowledge management, for, for, for example, in the pre-remote, you know, pre-pandemic world, I think a lot of times those things gathered some, some attention, but also gathered some digital dust, right? A lot of people were like, all right, that's where, like I haven't looked at that stuff in, in years, right? And all of a sudden, all of those sort of COEs or communities of practice or, places where people put a lot of, as you said before, based on um, based on tenure, had put a lot of thought into that. It's amazing now how people are going to grab those processes and saying, oh, where's that thing we once saw, we once talked about 
six years ago and said, yeah, we don't need that. It's that's that's too much process for us. Process is something you talk a lot about in in your in your thought leadership. And it's something I would love for you to, to talk about because many, many clients I work with process is usually something that they have not invested in. Or they say, you know what, we'll figure that out after we've got the tool in or after we've gone live on something. And now more than ever, that process is integral. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's that's something that people need to hear why and, and move away from that sense of, oh, process. Like, uh, I just that's the thing I, I avoid at all costs. So, so your, your organization operates successfully because of process. And that process is part of your culture. That's how you've learned over time to operate that process, the process that you use to close new customers or onboard customers or onboard people. There's a process. What I, the, 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 um, the, the question that really cuts to the chase of all customers who I talk to and all leaders I talk to is what percentage of your processes are in people's heads and what percentages, what percentage is written down? And the optimistic ones say 40% is written down. The realistic ones say 20% is written down. And then I say, okay, so now I want you to think about the human bottleneck. In most cases, leaders were the human bottleneck because they ultimately had to make decisions. But now every single one of the people who owns a process that isn't written down is a human bottleneck in your organization. Can you imagine how this is going to slow your business down? Because you used to just have a few bottlenecks because of the osmosis and because of your, of your literally your physical office. People could work their way around and through a process. But if you onboard 20 people a month and there is no process for it and no documentation for it, you're going to have 20 people running around all trying to call the same 20 people to find out how to do their job on Zoom all the time. So nobody will actually do anything. So, so, so I, the, the, the key question, though, is what percentage realistically of your process is written down? And now you, and then you demonstrate how critical those processes are because of the human bottleneck. And people then go, ah, okay, I get it. Because we've gone from maybe five human bottlenecks or one human bottleneck to 200 because that's how many employees you have in your organization. They're all a human bottleneck in some way, potentially. Yeah, and I think the other the other piece that has been really revealing to many is as everybody jumps to the cloud, right? Because that's pretty much the the, the only way that people can 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 kind of do work. I think the one of the most powerful things about having a, a cloud end-to-end tool is it actually illuminates and shows you where all of that process exists that you've never written down before. Because in many ways, people used to do their piece. You know, Bill's piece was this. Bill started here, ended it there, and handed it off to Brett, never had to worry about it again. A lot of times when you put in a cloud tool, it it allows you to see a lot more of the transparency. It allows you to see the end-to-end. And all of a sudden, people have to start thinking differently about why did Bill put in what he put in in this portion of the process? And if 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 Brett needs to change it, it's important that he knows he has to go back to Bill as opposed to, you know, Jennifer to ask for that because of where it lies in the end-to-end process. And that's a change for people. That's a change for a lot of people in the financial industry and the healthcare industry where previously it's, this is my area and 
I, I finished it. Like, that's it. I passed it on. Um, it's gone down the assembly line. I don't need to know about anything else. And that, that impacts how we train people. That impacts how we onboard people. So, so are you seeing that as well? The fact that you know, as people jump to this remote change um, and, and think about processes, are things like the cloud tools forcing some of that to, to, to cause people to have to widen their aperture a little bit on, on how work is done and what work is done in, in their space and around their space? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm seeing it more because you get um, the information silos forming. And, and so information silos are, 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 are the, the main pain point because I need the information and I can't get it. And what is the process for me to get this? Or where do I fit into the process so that I don't lose this information in the future? Oh, but there is no process. No, the process is in your head. Well, let's write it down. Good, now we've got it. Excellent, fine. So, so, so the, the pain point is for me that I'm seeing is information silos form. And we, you know, even in, in organizations, 50 people in the same, on the same floor, information, information silos formed. Now, with those 50 people in their homes, You've got, you've got micro-information silos forming. You've got sub, subgroup information silos forming. It's, and without the ability to follow the flow and of, of, of the information and the process, that's, that's, where, you get, that's where you end up. So um, I haven't seen that much from a, from a, um, a digital um, uh, software perspective, um, but I've, I've seen people start to try to look at software um, as to try and solve this particularly as well. New, new, new types of software coming through where um, uh, people just ignored processes. It would happen and we'd learn through osmosis what happened. Now you can't do that. So, yeah, um, it's, a, it's, it's a really, really fascinating space this because with process comes documentation and people are, are, are really poor at both. Um, yeah, and they think, and, and a lot of people feel like they're allergic to documentation, right? There's a lot of people say that documenting something is not necessarily the answer, or again, it's the balance that you talked about, that, that you know, what, what's the balance you strike between over-documentation versus resisting that and assuming and presuming that everybody's gonna be able to get what's out of their head, what's in their head, excuse me, out of their head in an efficient, effective, collaborative manner. I mean, we're just, we don't use enough of our brains as is. I, it, that's a lot. That's a big bet to place on um, people in a, in a in a completely distributed world. Yeah, and it's and and these and people are not. Um, you you used to be able to. You could feel, sense, watch the room. You could see people weren't having a great day. A couple of days in a row. Oh, oh, I need to pick up on this. Need to have a chat with them. That's you know. People are going to keep. You're going to get. Soon as, as soon as we're a little bit further down this process of, of vaccination and COVID being less of, a, of an issue, people are going to be way more free with their availability to talk to other companies and find out what's on the other side of this. This is a new era. What are you doing that's interesting? You know, my guys aren't doing as much on the, on the culture side. My guys aren't doing as much on the documentation side. It's driving me nuts. I can't do my job properly. Oh, look at you. You look at, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at GitLab's company manual. I've not, but I should. I, I highly, it is, it is a work of absolute beauty. It is a work of art. It is, the, uh, you know, it's, it's, if you print it out, it's 8,100 pages. 
But every single one of those documents is a working document. It's a live working document used every day. Granted, they have 1,300 people, and they've been going for 10 years. But that is the ultimate company manual where, where they, they explain everything. It's literally the kitchen sink. And, and you can, you know, you, you, you can just, I, I, I don't know how much of a drive rate, but I love to, I just can get lost in it because I just start reading and then just drift off into different departments. And I learned so much about this company. And as, as an outsider, if I wanted to join that company, it would be, that would make me incredibly, they see it as a competitive advantage. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And it's not typically something that people would have, ever have hanging out there. For people to look at, you know, to say, sure, look at look at how this is how we work, and please, you know, read this, assess this to see if it's something that um, you could see yourself among, right? You could you could see yourself. Um, the the other question I had for you was around a quote that I saw in a blog of yours, and if I don't get the quote right, I apologize, and I'll try and <laughs> edit it later. But I think it was a quote from Warren Buffett, and it said essentially, you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. So my question to you is, is this pandemic the great title recess when it comes to some of the stuff we're talking about, remote, remote working and culture? Absolutely. This is, this is the, the thing about this is, you know, the tide goes out and then it comes back in. But actually, if you see a tsunami, the tide goes really far out and then it comes really back in and it causes destruction on, in, its, in its wake. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the tide go out before the tide comes back in. And, and yes, this is a complete reset. And, it's, and there, is, there will be turmoil. Uh, and I'm not talking about people, you know, the, the unfortunate situation of people losing their jobs. I'm talking about really good companies being twisted and turned in the, in the, in the ensuing tidal wave. Um, and if you, if you don't get up to high water, and what I mean by that is really move quickly to adapt to remote work best practices as quickly as you can, you will lose people to the people who are. And, and you can see the smart companies. The smart companies are saying, we are going to be remote, uh, you know, remote first hybrid, and we're going to build our culture around that because that's, all, that's really what you're selling now. You're selling the ability for people to communicate effectively and work effectively and grow and develop in a new world on the moon. Yeah, it's uh, what what seemed like a moonshot is not so much a moonshot anymore for a lot of for a lot of companies. And I think the tsunami analogy is is a great one. It is it is not too dramatic. It is not too drastic. People really need to think about that. Um, so my final question for you is one I like to always ask: How do you stay healthy in change? So I've not been so good at the physical. Um, side of it because um, the pandemic is just, you know, I've just not been that good at it over the last six months or so. Um, but typically uh, what I, what I like to do is go for a work walk early in the morning. Um, I have a cold shower and go for a walk early in the morning, come winter, come summer. And actually I've just been lazy and I've let it slip. And you can actually see the second tire that I'm developing around my stomach is proving this. Um, but the, for me, it's, it's, it's that combination of physical and mental. I'm, I, I, I work with different companies moving at different speeds at different parts of, of the culture development process. And so I have to have to have a clear head. And that's one of the ways that I get my clear head. Um, 
I'm not a I'm I'm not a very good meditator. Um, unfortunately, that uh, I, I until I until I uh, messed up my ankle and my back in rugby, I I enjoyed Tai Chi. Um, but really, for me, the, the the healthy side is I try and eat healthy, and the morning walk, clear my head, get ready for the day is 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 crucial. Cold shower also seems to um, get you going. Yeah, I had a previous guest on who uh, talked about uh, essentially cold, you know, cold therapy, um, and he is a former Navy SEAL, and he does. Uh, he coaches people. And one of the things he does is he does the ice baths and every morning he does the cold shower and at night he does the ice bath. And a lot of people think he's crazy, but uh, he's, he's quite successful, quite happy, quite healthy. So the cold shower and and the early morning walk um, makes a lot of sense to me. Where could people find out a little bit more about you and culture gene? You're a published author. You've got, I believe two books. Am am I right in that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'd love for you to share where people can find out about your company, the work you're doing as well as, um, your books that you've written. Thanks, uh, Bill. Yeah. So, um, Culture Gene is uh, www.culturegene.ai. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Clubhouse, the new social media thing um, that's uh, taking the world by storm. Um, I, if I, I budget, oh, so, so my two books are. Culture Dex Decoded, and um, I wrote, I published that in 2018, and um, Own Your Culture was published last September, very much focused on frameworks around culture, and Own Your Culture is a tactical book on how to define, embed, and manage your culture. I've interviewed over 50 CEOs of high-growth companies, and I tell their stories in the book, Um, and if I spend about... 20, 25% of my time deliberately learning. Um, and so if any of your audience, if any of your listeners want to talk to me about their culture and what they're doing, they can ping me on my email, brett at culturegene.ai, because you know I'm learning, I'm teaching, I'm happy to just shoot the breeze about culture. And as I said to you before we started this, I could, I could talk about the subject the whole day. So um, I'm glad you stopped me. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing. I mean, I think it's something that is top of mind for a lot of people. And the the fascinating part is, right, the whole book is being rewritten as we as we speak in terms of the way the world is. So um, I appreciate your time. I'm also on Clubhouse. I'm just learning how to use it. I've had a couple of colleagues invite me to it. And it's fascinating, even as you think about that synchronous versus asynchronous example of communication, it's kind of fascinating to be able to join something, listen to people talking in a synchronous way, yet my expectation is asynchronous until I decide to change that. So Clubhouse is going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm seeing more people using it um, in in pretty fascinating examples. So it it will be interesting to watch that. Brett, thank you so much for your time. I hope you uh, enjoy the warmth there in Portugal with the family. Um, And uh, again, thanks for for joining and, and sharing your story. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it.